Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. I'm here with a new guest. He's the Athletics' Tony Jones. Has specialized in jazz coverage for quite a while now. But I think one secret about Tony, not a secret if you followed him on Twitter, is this guy really does his homework around the NBA draft. I've followed him for years. I always think his his takes are sharp on players and prospects as he prepares for his draft coverage every year. I've wanted to have him on the show for a while. I'm fine. We fi- I'm really happy that we finally got you here, Tony. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to, to, to be here. And um, I, I, I told you this, um, I told you this off camera, but you know, I, I feel like I got to say, I mean, you're, you're one of the people in this business that I've always looked up to. Um, so this is, uh, this is really exciting for me to be able to, 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 uh, to do this with you, um, uh, professionally. I appreciate that, Tony. I told Tony when he said that it, it makes me feel old. Uh, I, I don't. I always think I'm younger than I'm at, than, than I actually am. But that's that's really cool to hear. I'm really excited to dive right into it. But I want our listeners to get to to know you a little bit more. So just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are right now, Tony, um, with the athletic. Like, what was your journey to get there? And I'm especially interested in like what turned you on with the NBA draft and your approach to scouting prospects. Um, so, I mean, long story short, I mean, you know, it was kind of, you know, my mom has been in the business for ever and ever and ever. And she's currently in the, uh, she's currently, uh, an associate dean of journalism at, at Morgan State University. Um, but she had been in the bit, the, the, uh, newspaper business, um, for a long, long time, um, talking decades, um, and so, you know, once I realized that I wasn't going to go to the NBA, it, that should have been really early, but it was later than it should have been. Um, you know, I, I decided to, uh, to, to follow my mom's footsteps in the journalism because she had been such a great example. Um, so I worked at uh, a newspaper in Florida called the Daytona Beach News Journal. And then I worked uh, at the uh, Salt Lake Tribune, um, and that's where um, I became um, a full-time NBA beat writer for the first time uh, back in 20, 2014. And then I went um, from the Tribune, um, I went to the Athletic, and it's been, you know, really uh, a, a blast and, and a great uh, experience, um, working there, um, working, you know, for, for the bosses that I work for and, and working with the jazz and, you know, it's, so it's, it's been a really, um, blessed journey, um, uh, for me. And, um, I think, you know, just, you know, I've always been fascinated with two things. I've been fascinated. I've always been fascinated with NBA draft, and I've also been I've always been fascinated with high school recruiting. So I've always kept up with both of those. Um, and, and I think, you know, the draft is is unique enough um, that, you know, it's one of those things where 
you know, it's, it's somewhere where, you know, if you're good at it, you can kind of make your mark. And, you know, so that's, that's been one of the things that I've liked uh, about draft coverage. And, and it's been one of the things, one of the reasons why I've always been um, so in tune to it. Tony's work at The Athletic is fantastic. If you haven't subscribed to Athletic, uh, I, I'm a subscriber. I think it's a really fantastic service, especially if you like diving deep. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love about The Athletic is the depth in which they cover teams uh, and, and cover the game that if you're, you know, a, a fan that really, really wants to get deep, it's a really important, uh, I think, resource, uh, certainly for me, uh, who's covering the, covering the league. Tony, I want to dive now uh, into the, the big question. We know that there's no consensus number one pick in this draft. Minnesota is thinking about a number of different options, including potentially trading the pick. If you talk to various NBA teams throughout the league, uh, you're going to get a different answer from team to team about who's going to be number one on the board. And even within teams, a lot of times there's a lot of internal battles right now because there isn't a clear-cut number one guy. There isn't that that standout tier one guy that is just a no-brainer to be an Anthony Davis or dominant player, even, even a Zion Williamson like they had last year. There's There's no one like that. And so I'm always curious. I always want to start this podcast off with a new guest asking who's number one on your big board, not who the Minnesota Timberwolves should take number one, but who do you think is going to be the best prospect in this draft? That's interesting because I have two, I I have, I might have three answers to this. And the, my favorite player in this draft right now is Obi Toppin. um, Because, I have because there's no um, consensus number one, and because everybody is so, you know, the, the top guys, you know, Lamelo Ball and um, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, because you know those guys are so boom and bust. I'm reasonably um, sure that Obi Toppin is going to be a solid pro for ten to twelve years. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think, um, is, 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 is somebody that can play the four in this league, but he's somebody that I think can play the five in this league really well. Um, I think he's a guy that can step out and shoot it. Uh, he shot 39% from, from, from three point range, uh, at Dayton. But the thing about Obi is, you know, obviously he's older than, than, than the top prospects and, you know, the question with Obi is how high is his ceiling? So I think he has the highest floor, but I also think that there are people in this draft that have, that have higher ceilings. So, you know, I, I, I think the person in this draft, the two people in this draft that, you know, obviously have super high ceilings. I really love LaMelo Ball's game. I love the fact that he's six, seven, he's got, you know, elite size for his position. Uh, I think he's going to be a terrific pick and roll player. I think that he's a guy that has a chance to be one of the best passers in the league. Obviously right now, he probably has no idea how to defend at an NBA level. And obviously, you know, he's got the, the, you know, he's, he's, he's got, you know, more stuff going on off the floor. Um, you know, with, you know, with his father 
um, being who he is, you know, so there, there are red flags with him. Now, the thing about Anthony Edwards, I think Anthony Edwards can develop into a guy that averages 25 to 30 points a night in this league. But the question is, you know, is he going to do anything other than score? Is he going to, you know, become a, become a dynamic playmaker? Is he going to become a dynamic defender? Um, you know, and the other, other thing that's a red flag with me with Anthony Edwards is that his teams haven't won before, before this level. And to me, that's a red flag as well. So, you know, my favorite player in this draft is probably Obi Toppin. Um, I would probably, if I were Minnesota, I would probably pick Lamelo Ball number one because I think that he's got uh, the biggest, the, the highest superstar ceiling relative to what his position is. And it's really hard to find uh, a superstar point, superstar as a point guard in this league. So I, I think the Long story short, I think Lamella Ball would probably be my number one pick, although Obi Toppin is is the guy that I really like in this draft. Well, I like the I like the the Toppin choice because what you say about him reflects something that you hear a lot about him. It's it's he's a pretty known quantity in what teams think he's going to be able to deliver in the league. Like you said, there's there maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high for him, but there's very few teams that think Obi Toppin is going to be a bust in the NBA just because of his combination of athleticism and offensive prowess, his ability to score the basketball, both you know when he's out in transition, uh, finishing at the rim, and he showed a, a pretty adept three-point game this year at, at Dayton as well. And it's interesting why teams don't have him higher. He's eight on our board right now, though. Some I talked to some teams that have him as high as two. I haven't talked to anybody that has him number one. But he is a really interesting prospect. And if he was two years younger, he's a 22-year-old right. sophomore. I think right. Tony talked about 20, the age. Right, exactly. If he was 20, we he would very seriously be in the mix for the number one pick. Yeah, I, you know, and I agree with that. And, and you know, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's when you have to, to ask yourself, you know, as a team, like, hey, am I out thinking, am I overthinking this, right? Because let's say Obi Toppin, you know, he proves durable. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that, that's improved uh, at the college level, Um let's say he plays until 35 at a relatively high level, that's 13 years. And, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to make this comparison as a player because obviously he's not on this level as a prospect, but Tim Duncan came into the league at 22 years old, you know, and obviously he turned out all right. So, you know, it's possible to take an, a, a number one pick you know, who's a little bit older than the rest of the field and, and, and have it work out. Okay. Um, and, and I say this acknowledging that Tim Duncan is probably an extreme example because he's, you know, one of the top 10 players ever. Um, but not the only guy, Damian Lillard came into the league at 22, but he was a number six pick, you know, and I think there's, there's a difference between taking a number, a 22 year old at number one and a 22 year old at number six. You know, I think that there's, there's a difference in, in, in pressure, um, you know, even though the Damian Lillard also supplied the pressure of being a small college point guard who had never been to the NCAA tournament as well as being 22 years old. So, 
you know, I, I think when you look at LaMelo and you look at James Wiseman and you look at Anthony Edwards, you know, all of those guys, you know, are, are obviously significantly younger, um, you know, so there is that there is that ceiling, you know, but the thing with especially with LaMelo, you know, fit is going to 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 play a role in his development and situation is going to play a role in his development. So if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves and you draft LaMelo ball at number one, obviously you have D'Angelo Russell uh, already entrenched as your point guard. Are you going to be able to have the culture and the fit and, and, and the development um, to, to make sure that as a small market franchise, probably not in a, a location that's desirable enough for, for, for uh, LeVar Ball, you know, is he still going, is LaMelo Ball going to be still going to be able to thrive on that roster with that fit in that culture? You know, those are questions that you have to ask yourself if, if you're the Timberwolves. Absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that we also know about both Minnesota, especially Minnesota and Golden State, though there seems to be a lot of talk among all the teams at the top of the draft, is this desire in this particular draft not seeing someone on this board that's going to help them right away and teams like the Wolves and and Warriors, especially having aspirations to to add playoff contributors to their roster, do you just draft the guy that has the most trade value uh, down the road, right? And if you can't make a trade before the draft, which I think these teams are trying to do, do you draft the guy that will provide the most trade value down the road and certainly Lamella ball could could be that could be that prospect i want to talk just a few minutes more about Toppin because i just feel like we haven't covered him enough on this podcast it's it's strange i mean here's a guy who averaged 20 points a game uh, was arguably one of the two or three two or three best college basketball players in the country this year and i think because of his age because he was at dayton uh because he's an older sophomore, doesn't quite get the recognition. He wasn't on the radar screen from the, from the high school age the way that you know, like a Cole Anthony was, or Lamelo Ball, or James Wiseman, or what have you. When I think we all know his offensive game, when you talk to scouts, the concerns tend to go on the defensive end. How, who is he going to defend at the next level? As explosive as he is as a leaper. His, his lateral quickness seems to be more average, and he doesn't look like he has the strength to necessarily be an NBA 5. I'm just curious, do you have concerns about him on the defensive end? What, what's your take on Toppin as a defensive player? Because I think we're pretty sold on him on the offensive end. Well, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to turn out to be a, a good rim protector. And the question is, can he guard on the floor? Because teams are going to put him in a lot of pick and rolls. And, you know, especially in playoff time when, you know, when it's a switching game defensively, you know, this is the reason why Bam Adebayo uh, not only was really good in the regular season, but he was even better in the playoffs because if you forced to switch with him with a guard, Bam was, was, was good enough defensively that you just couldn't beat him off the dribble. Um, you know, so that's where my, that's where my, my, my question is with him. How is he going to, to guard? Um, how is he going to guard pick and rolls? 
how's he going to guard on switches, especially when teams, you know, when teams try to seek him out uh, and go at him in ISO situations. You know, those are those are all questions that he's going to. Those are the questions that he's going to have to answer. I think he's going to be a, a, a really good weak side defender. Uh, he was a terrific, terrific shot blocker in co- at the college level. And like you, like you mentioned, he's, you know, he's almost an elite athlete vertically. Um, you know, so, you know, because of that, I think that he probably grades out more as a five than as a four. Um, because you are in this, in this league, your position is who you can guard. It's, it's not what you can play offensively. Um, you know, so he's going to have to to prove that he can defend. I'm not as worried about his lack of strength at the five, considering this has just become a pick and roll, uh, four out, one in league mostly. Um, you know, but if he can, if if he figures out a way to hold up defensively, um, then he's going to have. Then to me, he's got the upside as the best player in this draft. Because his defense and his his ability to guard pick and roll is that much of that much of a, a question mark to me. So I don't have many questions for him offensively. I think that he's going to be a terrific pick and pop player. I think he's going to be a fantastic guy in transition, uh, and I think that he's got upside as a guy that can put the ball on the floor and be a secondary creator. Uh, his his entire question is his lateral movement and whether he's going to be able to guard at the next level. Some teams are debating between him and USC's Onyeka Okongwu. And I, I don't think there's any question offensively that that Toppin is the more polished prospect. I think Okongwu teams see him as a much higher upside on the de- defensive end. And then people will start to argue, look, he's 19, not 22. Uh, he was he was solid offensively for USC this year. Uh, they didn't ask him to do a lot uh, to really diversify his game. And if you if you put Onkongwu back at USC for another year, where he would be only twenty years old, th- there's a chance he could be doing many of the same things that that um, that Toppin was doing now. Where do you have Onkongwu ranked on your board, and how do you compare him? If you're thinking about a, a guy who can play four or five in the league, uh, and and what's the more valuable prospect? You've got top and one. Where would you put a Kongwu? Well, with a Kongwu, the Wizards are praying that he falls to him to them <laughs> there um, because they 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 uh, they definitely want him. Um, I actually think that I I would have a Kongwu around five, six, or seven um, because, like you said, you know. He's he's almost the opposite of Toppin, right? Like where Toppin has his question is defensively and, you know, how is he going to hold up? Okongwu, I don't have those questions defensively. I think he's going to be a terrific defender. I think he's going to be a, 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 a great rim protector, and I think that he's going to be um, really good in, in switching, switching situations. Uh, I think that he – projects to be kind he projects to be uh, a lob threat uh, as a five um, you know and I think that 
uh, he he's a guy that's that projects to be a really uh, effective rebounder on both ends uh, on the next level. I don't know that he's going to be a star, but he's got championship teams are built around big guys that have his that that have his um, that have his skill set. You know, Miami, the Miami. I, I keep using Bam Adebayo as 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 the example here, but you know, Miami was able to build around Bam defensively because Bam was able to switch and Bam was able to hold up and pick and roll. Boom, you get a couple of defensive wings, and and all of a sudden you're a really really good defensive team. And whoever drafts a Congo can do the same thing to me. And even if he doesn't, you know, grade out to be an all-star or an all-NBA guy, he grades out to, to have uh, a skill set that, that's so valuable in today's NBA that it's almost worth it to take him uh, with, the, with the, the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh selection. Um, so he, he's a guy that, that you know, understandably um, has, has risen up on draft boards in terms of value. Um, and I think that, that he's a guy that I think that you're going to see go pretty early in this draft. I think the Wizards are going to have to move up if they, if they want him. But the good news is I think there's a lot of teams willing to sell and move down uh, in this draft. And so if that's something the Wizards really want to do, I think uh, uh, Kongwu is a great fit there. I know people, Warriors fans are going to kill me because it seems like every week I'm talking about a different prospect with the Warriors. And I've, I've talked about how I like Tyrese Halliburton there. I've talked a little bit about why James Wiseman uh, makes some sense there. I also think Kongwu is a player that makes a lot of sense on the Warriors team if they were to keep this pick and just thinking about someone who could come in and give them something that that they need and they certainly don't need his offense uh given what else the rest of the players on this team can do i I think i think he's an interesting consideration there for for them even at two and because i'm not sure that there's necessarily such a huge um tier jump between the balls wiseman's and edwards and then that next group with halliburton you know killian hayes a kong you know obi toppin I, I don't. Th- I don't think it's out of the question if they can't if they can't move this pick a little bit, that they are strategic and think about who's the guy that can both help us. And you know, he's 19 years old. It's not like they're drafting a guy that's only going to be able to help them for a few years. Well, the thing the thing about the Warriors and and they're in such a unique position because they are so much win now. They're in win now mode. Um, you know, Steph and Clay. And and Draymond Green, you know, if they're not on the back end of their primes, they're they're approaching the back end of their primes. So they need a guy that can come in. And their obvious glaring spot of weakness right now is at the five spot. Um, and and that's where I think Okongu, somebody like Okongu or even Obi Toppin could come in, you know, just be a lob threat and be a rim protector do those two things and don't get, you know, and don't get barbecued and pick and roll. Um, you know, it, and, and if you do that, then, you know, those, those guys, those kind of guys have a chance to make that a better team um, from, from day one. Um, you know, my thing is 
if you don't take James Wiseman? Are you missing out on a guy that's going to develop into, you know, 22 and 12 and three block shots by the time he's 23 or 24 years old? If you don't take Anthony Edwards, are you missing out on a guy who's, you know, going to be able to light the NBA up, you know, offensively like a pinball machine? If you don't take Lamelo Ball, you're missing out on the guy um, that's going to develop into, you know, a terrific point guard. So, I mean, those are the questions. If you're the Warriors, that, that if you're Bob Myers, that's what you have to ask yourself, and you have to weigh, you know, that risk, that risk and reward, um, and you have to weigh it on the need of this team to to win now. Uh, so, if you're Bob Myers, if you're reasonably sure. If you can draft James Wiseman, that um, not only he can, not only can he develop into an All NBA guy four or five years down the road, but he can step in and help as a rookie. Then you draft, then you probably draft James Wiseman. But if you have questions with that, then you probably go with with one of the two uh, guys that are a little bit more safer entities in this draft. And I think that's the big question with Wiseman: is we don't know. We don't have enough body of work to know. Uh, there's enough to intrigue us. Uh, that that could be the case that he could step in right now. He certainly has the body and athleticism. That just body of work is the thing that's so intriguing. But look, this is what makes the top of this draft so fun. I've been saying it reminds me a lot of the 2013 draft. And some for some fans, that can be really frustrating because there's just no clarity. But it also means that you know we can talk a lot, a lot about a lot of different fits and a lot of different guys that could go there. We're talking with the Athletics' Tony Jones. When we come back, we're going to talk about, we're going to move down the big board a little bit. Tony's going to tell me uh, some guys that he has ranked ahead of guys on my big board 2.0 and some guys that, that he has ranked below. We'll be back after these messages. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. They're in 18 amazing flavors Six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for, for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot about what he puts into his system, I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is, which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And we are back. I'm with the Athletics, Tony Jones. 
In this portion of the podcast, we're going to talk about, we're going to move down the big board a little bit, talk about some guys who Tony likes more or less than where we've got him ranked right now on Big Board 2.0. And you can check out Big Board 2.0 both in one of our podcasts we had about a week ago where I I broke down the top 30, or you can go to nbabigboard.com. That's my website, and you can check out our top 50 uh, prospects on nbabigboard.com. Tony, who's the guy in this draft that, that you like more than, than I do as far as a guy that you've got ranked significantly higher? I'm not talking about a spot or two higher, but significantly higher on your big board than what you saw on Big Board 2.0. I really like Patrick Williams um, because I think uh, I think in this league, you win in this league with two-way wings who are dynamic on both ends of the floor. And I think now he's not there right now. He's not there yet. I don't even want to say yet. I mean, he has a long way to go, but he's got that kind of upside to me. You know, I, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, Isaac Okoro, you know, he projects as a, as a, as a high value dynamic defensive wing. Um, but I saw some, you know, some offensive upside out of Williams in his one year at Florida state. Uh, that really intrigues me. Like, I think he's a good ball handler. Uh, I think he has upside as a shooter. He shot 32% uh, from three-point range at, at Florida State. But I think he can be a dynamic defender. Uh, he's every bit of six foot eight. Um, he's got a plus wingspan. Uh, and I think that he ha- has a chance to be a dynamic offensive player as well. Now, the question with, with Patrick Williams is um, – I think that you have to have a really stable franchise uh, in terms of being able to develop him. Uh, And I think you have to have a stable culture. uh, And I think that you have to have a sane fan base as well, because I think if you draft Patrick Williams, you might even have to put him in a G league for a year or half a year. Um, But if he works hard enough and he develops uh, I think that he's got a chance to be a terrific NBA wing and you absolutely win in this league with wing play. And there's just, there's just no way around that. And, and I think that he's got a, he's, he's a guy that can, that can develop on both ends of the floor uh, and be dynamic on both ends of the floor. Tony's talking about uh, Florida state freshman, Patrick Williams. I've also been high on Williams all year. Uh, he's been in my top ten uh, since uh, since we we started uh, the big board. I've got him at nine. Are you arguing he needs to go higher than that? I'm not arguing that he needs to go higher than that. I have him around eight or nine. So I mean, he's just like I just he's just one of my favorite prospects in this draft. Um, you know, he's he. I just think that he's somebody that. You know, he's going to need he's going to need some time. He's going to need a couple of years at least. Um, and, he, you know, his skill set is raw, but he's he's got a chance to, to be a really good player in this league. I, I agree. I'm I, I'm really bullish on Patrick Williams. My only issue with him as a wing is I wonder a little bit about that lateral quickness. I think he can guard fours in the league. I, I my question is, can he guard threes? And, and that, to me, is going to be the difference for Patrick Williams between being an elite prospect and just a, an okay prospect is can he guard other wings? And, uh, and that, that's, that's really my only concern because he seems a little stiff from the, way, from the waist down uh, defensively at Florida State. 
Yeah, you know, and I, and I think with the thing with Florida State, I mean, he he also had to, you know, there's a lot of internal competition there, right? Like, you know, Devin Vassell, obviously, uh, who's another who's another wing uh, out of out of out of Florida State that can go that that has lottery potential. I mean, so there was just a ton of talent that he had to to work through uh, to 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 get. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of playing time, um, you know, so even by, you know, just being a guy that was a freshman and coming out as a freshman, I think he's even a little bit inexperienced, even by that standard as well. Um, you know, so I, 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 I don't question his lateral quickness is as, 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 as much as you do. I think that he he'll be fine. I think that he can guard threes. Um, you know, my my question was actually, you know, how does his body fill out? You know, does he become a guy that goes from six eight and two twenty to six eight and two thirty five or six eight and two forty? Because if that's the case, then you're correct. He becomes a four in that case. Um, you know, but or does he become a guy that that stays at the two twenty two twenty five range and and maintains his athleticism? Um, you know, we don't know. Because you know he's he's so he's still so young uh, in his development, um, but you know I think that he's a guy that uh, somebody you know really stable. You know I think that he'd be a terrific pickup for the Suns. You know at ten, or he'd be a terrific pickup for the Spurs at eleven. Um, you know one of those teams that you know not quite. At not quite contenders, but um, have a really good roster for him to go to, a stable roster for him to go to where not much of it is expected of him in the first two or three years. You know, I don't want to see him go to somewhere like the New York Knicks because, you know, he goes to New York and all of a sudden he's in the G League for a year and he averages three, you know, five and three in year two. You know, the, the fan base is going to be calling him a bum. You know, I want him to go somewhere where he's going to be able to develop for a couple of years, and then we see what we have. You know. Okay, Tony. Anybody else that that you are really high on a little bit later on the big board? Another player that you like that maybe you're higher on than I am or other teams in the league. How high are you on Sadiq Bay? I've got him at I've got him at twenty three. Yeah, I see. I have Sadiq at around fifteen. Okay, talk to me why you like Sadiq Bay. No, so you know it's the same thing with Sadiq Bay. I mean, he's a he's a guy. You know, I don't think he's he's going to be as dynamic. I don't think he has a dynamic offensive upside as as Patrick Williams because he's not the athlete, um, but he's somebody that knows how to play basketball. And I love Villanova kids. And you know, he's. I always said that you know, because I've always. Uh, you know, I've been covering this draft from from a Utah Jazz perspective. You know, I've I've told Jazz fans, you know, for a while that you know Sadiq Bay would probably be you know their best case scenario um, coming out of this draft with the number three pick. Now he's not going to last to number twenty three, um, you know, but he's a guy that you know he defends really well. He shot the basketball extremely well in his sophomore season in Villanova. Shot 45% from three-point range. Um, 
you know, he showed upside as, you know, as, as a guy who uh, can potentially, um, you know, run some pick and roll, play some pick and roll. Uh, he's a terrific defensive defender. Uh, he's a guy that can guard um, one through four uh, at the NBA level, in my opinion. Uh, and when you can guard and, and, and switch and be a guy that, that can, you could just plug and play uh, in a rotation uh, of a playoff contender, uh, to me, that, that gives you real value. Uh, in this draft, especially with in in a draft like this, um, that doesn't have that doesn't have the star power as as other drafts. That's the range I have him fifteen to twenty five. I had him down a little bit lower. He's certainly in the mix with several other prospects that, in one way or the other, are competing with him. Precious Achua out of Memphis, you know, for example, um, Jaden McDaniel's, who's who's a probably the biggest swing or miss prospect in this draft. Well, he, he's the most, he's the most polarizing prospect of this draft for sure. Jaden McDaniels. Um, Aaron Neesmith out of Vanderbilt, uh, who does some, some similar things as well. A lot of interesting guys there, guys bouncing back and forth, but I think Tony, you really hone in on something that I think is really important. You know, the, the league continues to evolve and as it evolves, certain positions become more important than other positions or there become certain positions that teams really obsess about uh, finding particular players uh, in the draft. And it certainly seems that these three and D uh, type type of players that can guard twos, threes, fours in the league are, are the most coveted positional players uh, in the draft right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to stray too far from this point, but let's go the other way, right? Let's go to let's let's you you mentioned Aaron Neesmith, and you know, right now Aaron Neesmith has one NBA skill. Right now, he has one definitive NBA skill. But that NBA skill is so valuable that it's the same thing with Cameron Johnson from 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 last year. You could take him as a, as a lottery pick, and you know, and nobody and nobody will bat an eye. That NBA skill is he's a shooter with size, right? Fifty two percent three point shooter with size. Not only fifty two percent, but fifty two percent on seven attempts a game. So it's not fifty two percent, and he's shooting three or four threes a game. It's fifty two percent sent on volume. And I look at Aaron Neesmith film and I look at film and I look and I close my eyes and I see Buddy Hill. Now, he's not as good off the dribble as Buddy Hill is, but Aaron Neesmith, not only is he a great shooter, he's a guy that, that moves extremely well without the basketball. You can run him off a lot of pin down screens. He's a great catch. He's great off the catch and shoot. And he's six foot seven and he's a, and he's a shooting guard. So you can plug him in to your rotation right now and he's going to knock down shots, especially if you have and, and if you have um, if you have a good team defensively around him, he becomes even more valuable. So, you know, people like Aaron Neesmith, who have that kind of a skill set, um, people like Sadiq Bay, whose skill set is being able to guard and, and have switchability defensively, you know, when when you get into 12 that 15 12 to 15 to 20 range you look for you look for those guys you know you look for those you look for those are the guys that you look at and 
You know, that's why Jalen Smith from Maryland, he's making inroads up the boards because he's a big who can really shoot the three-point rank, who can really shoot shoot the three. You know, so he he's he's a guy that that can score and pick and pop. He's a guy that can score with his back to the basket. He's a guy that that can shoot that shot 37% from from range at Maryland. Uh, and, and he's got real upside as a shooter as well. So, you know, you're looking for guys that can, that can fill a role for your team. And, and, and once you get out of that lottery pit, out of that lottery range, and you're looking for guys um, that have skill sets that, that you can just plug, that you can plug. Anybody that you're a skeptic on right now, uh, this guy's got buzz. There's hype around a prospect and someone that you're looking at and say, man, I just don't see it. Well, I mean, I look at Cole Anthony and, and that's what, you know, that's what I see. I mean, you know, because um, I think, you know, when you are six foot two, um, you don't really have that much experience running a team. Um uh, you know, he's going to have to get up to speed defensively. Uh, he wasn't a great, he was an okay shooter at, at North Carolina. He wasn't a great shooter, but he, you know, and he was a volume shooter, uh, a lot more of a scorer than a shooter, you know, so he's, he's going to have to develop a lot. And, you know, I look at Cole Anthony, I look at Nico Mannion, I look at both of those guys. They have a lot of developing to do, and I'm not sure I'm 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 reasonably more sure with Cole Anthony because I think that he's an NBA athlete and I think that um, he's a guy that's going to be able to get past people um, in ISO situations. So that's gonna that's gonna give him value, um, but he's gonna have to work to be a starting point guard in the NBA. He's gonna have to improve uh, a lot uh, in terms of in terms of pick and roll and pick and roll distribution. And making decisions out of pick and roll, I think he's going to have to improve a lot defensively. I think he's going to have to prove, improve a lot as a shooter. But he has a baseline as an athlete um, that I think is going to be able to keep him in the league for at least five years. And then beyond that, it's going to it's going to depend on how much he develops uh, the skill sets that he needs to develop. Uh, I'm worried about Nico Mannion because I don't know what his NBA skill is, and I'm not sure he's an NBA athlete. Uh, I think he's an NBA athlete vertically, but the problem is on once you get on the ground and once you get off the dribble, he had real problems getting past people at Arizona off the dribble, uh, and he wasn't a great shooter. So, you know, he's going to have to develop uh, a lot, a lot in the pick and roll as well. He's going to have to develop his 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 shot. Uh, he's going to have to develop defensively, and he's going to have to develop more on the ground as an athlete. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of people, when they look at athletes, they think, you know, vertical, you know, and you don't think about on the ground, you know, Chris, Chris Paul, uh, wasn't a great vertical athlete, but he was a tremendous on the ground athlete, tremendous lateral quickness, tremendous first step. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, New Orleans, Chris Paul, you know, Los Angeles Clippers, Chris Paul, you know, when he was in his prime. You know, same thing with Darren Williams. He wasn't a great athlete vertically, but he was a great athlete laterally uh, and on the ground. So, you know, I think that when you look at point guards and shooting guards and, you know, you you have to be as good on the ground as you are as you are in the air 
And I think that those are some of the, the questions that I have for Nico Mannion. What all this conversation tells me is you've been doing your homework because uh, I think if there's two guys in this draft that maybe came into the season with much more expectations than they're they're finding right now in the draft, it's been Cole Anthony. He's dropped a 21 on our board, and uh, you know, frankly, that may not be his floor uh, in this draft uh, right now for all the reasons that Tony uh, you just talked about, and Nico Mannion uh, at 41 on our board. Uh, right wow. now he's that, and he's wow and he's he's slid for all of those reasons i think that for a lot of scouts this is a, a case where the high school player may have peaked and you're seeing now with stiffer competition at arizona uh, you know a guy that despite his uh, you know elite floor vision um really couldn't get by um defenders on the offensive end and on the on, and on the defensive end, everyone could get by him, and uh, you know that's a that's a recipe uh, for a major problem when you get to the NBA. Obviously, with the increased strength and athleticism and speed uh, of the game, and I think a lot of NBA teams right now are wondering the same thing that you've wondered to the point that I, I've talked to NBA teams that have Peyton Pritchard uh, ahead of him right now uh, because because they see they see something he can do. Trey Jones ahead of him. Uh, you know, right now, because they see them being able to do something, at least one definable skill at the next level where they just don't see that with Nico. You love Peyton Pritchard. Yeah. Tell me about that. That's interesting. Well, he's the, I mean, he's developed, right? Like he's gotten better every year that he was at Oregon. Uh, He's a guy that worked out for the jet. He, he uh, worked out, declared for the draft after his junior year, worked out for the draft. The Utah Jazz had a really good workout and then um, improved tremendously. I mean, he, he improved significantly from his junior year to his senior year. He always, for three years, I watched him and, you know, he kind of graded out as a guy who I think, okay, come into the league, probably break through as a backup you know, real good locker room guy, stick around for a while. And then in his senior year, you watch him and he became explosive off the dribble. And, you know, he got into, the, you know, his senior year, he got into the lane off the dribble anytime he wanted to. Um, you know, he, be- he became a better shooter. Um, and, and if that translate, his, the way he was able to beat people off the dribble at Oregon, if that translates – to the NBA and he can get into the lane uh, in that way, then I think he's going to be in the NBA for 10 years. I'm not sure he's going to be a starter, but I think he's going to be a high level backup. Um, You know, he's got more size than you think at the point. Uh, He's a dog defensively. He plays really hard. He's super competitive, you know, and those, you know, his competitiveness and, you know, how hard he plays from possession to possession you know, those were all um, those were all his defining traits in his first three years uh, at Oregon. And then, you know, in his fourth year, he added skill. He added the skill level. So and and the three point shooting. I mean, there was an explosion from beyond the arc this year, shot forty one and a half percent from three. And, and that's another big area that that teams took notice. He was an OK three point shooter. Uh, but this year, I mean, he, he took it to another level. You know, and, and, I, and I think he's a guy that 
you know, he's, a, he's an example that you don't always have to come out after your freshman or sophomore year um, as a prospect because, you know, it benefited him to stay for his senior year because in his senior year, guess what? He was the number one option. He was the guy. And it wasn't that way for him in his first three years. And I think that he's, he's somebody that really, um, uh, he's somebody that really benefited from that. So, you know, he's a guy that, that to me, he has a, a, a late first round grade to me. And the other point guard that we haven't talked about that I think that a lot of people are talking about is Malachi Flynn out of San Diego state. You know, uh, he's a guy that, that, you know, really, really exploded at, at, in his one year at San Diego state. Um, he's a terrific shooter. He's a really dogged defender. Uh, and, you know, I think that when you look at somebody like Fred Van Vliet, um, who really exploded as, as, as a near all-star player, as a real under the rim guy, I think you can look at Malachi Flynn and see kind of the same traits. Now, you know, he's, the thing with Fred Van Vliet is, you know, he be, he, he's thriving because he's figured out how to finish while being an um, under the rim guy. And, and I think that Malachi Flynn's got to develop that to a degree, but the jump shot on volume is there. The, the, the ability to run pick and roll is there. The skill set is there. Uh, his defense is, his defense is, is really uh, better than it should be for, for his size. You know, so I, I think that Malachi Flynn is another guy that, to me, I, I would I would really take a look at if I were a team in the late first round, early second round. He's number 27 on our board, Malachi Flynn. The thing that I say is, you know, when you first kind of look at his physical profile, yeah, you're not really sure. The kid can just flat out ball. And at some point with your point guard, you know, that's a that's a major question to ask. Can they just play the game? And whenever you watch Flynn's tape, I mean, he he just pops. Every time you watch him, he not only is it the, you know, not only is it I think the the way he competes and the toughness. It's just that great feel and competitiveness for the game, you know. Whether he's a starting point guard or you know somebody comes off the bench and and leads the second unit, uh, I'm with you on Malachi Flynn. I, I think he should be a first round prospect. Absolutely, I think the, the 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 third guy. I mean, we you know we're talking about you know under the radar seniors, and I've talked about this guy a ton with Jazz fans. Um, but you know, I really like Desmond Bain, uh, out of, out of, uh, TCU, you know, you talk about shooters, you know, he's, he's a guy that shot 43%. Um, he, you know, he shot it in volume. Uh, but the thing with him is he graded out like something like 95th percentile, um, defensively in ISO situations, uh, in the big 12. So, you know that you're going to get a kid 6'6", 220. Uh, he can shoot the heck out of the basketball and he can defend uh, on the other end. Uh, now, the question with Desmond Bain is, you know, he's 6'6", but he's got a 6'4 wingspan, so he's got a negative wingspan. And obviously, he stayed all four years uh, in college, so he's he's older. He's an, old, he's an older uh, prospect, but you know, he's a guy that if you're the Jazz, if you're uh, the Denver Nuggets, if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Milwaukee Bucks, those, that's the kind of guy that you want to take because those are the, that's a guy that can come in. 
you know, the Milwaukee Bucks actually have some have a Desmond Bain. They had they have Wesley Wesley Matthews. You know, to me, that's that's who Desmond Bain, Bain reminds me of. Um, you know, so you want a guy that's going to come in. He's a tough kid. He's a competitive kid. He can shoot and he can defend. Uh, and I think that he's a, he's a guy that if you're in that that mid twenty, maybe even early twenties range, uh, he he's a guy that I would absolutely consider. We are talking to the Athletics' Tony Jones. We've just broke down some of uh, his favorites in the mid to late first round, even a couple of second rounders as well. When we come back, we're going to talk about what several teams should be doing with their pick, including the Knicks, the Suns, the Spurs, the Kings, and the Jazz. We'll be back. And we are back with Tony Jones of The Athletic. Going to talk some mock drafting here. What should some specific teams do uh, with their pick? And I want to start with the New York Knicks. They're at eight. Knicks fans disappointed. Really want that number one pick. I think LaMelo Ball is probably like the best and most obvious fit there. I just don't know that the Knicks have the, the assets to be able to move up significantly in the draft. If they stay... Where they're at at eight, Tony, who do you think the Knicks should take? Obi Toppin. <laughs> Your number one guy is going to fall to eight? Guy. Listen, I don't think he's going to fall to eight. Um, but, you know, I, if Obi Toppin is somewhere, it, somehow there at eight, then they should just be doing back flips and, and, and draft them. Um you know, beyond that, I mean, the thing with the Knicks, you know, they I think they just got to take the best player available on who, who's number one on their board, um, regardless, regardless of, uh, of center, because they need they they need to overturn this roster. Right. Like they they need to overturn the entire roster uh, and, you know, of, of particular importance for them is they need to find a point guard. I don't know that you're going to find uh, a point guard at eight that's going to um, be your franchise point guard. Now, the, the one exception that I would make with that uh, is Tyrese Halliburton. Um, but I don't know if Tyrese falls to eight. Um, you know, so, but if Tyrese Halliburton is there, uh, we're talking about the, the point guard out of Iowa State, um, then I'd, I'd probably take him if 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 I'm the Knicks. I mean, I think he's, you know, he's long and he's versatile. He's he's a really good facilitator. Uh, he shoot the heck out of the basketball. Now, obviously, his his shooting form has come under you know real question in, in the pre-draft process. But you know, I think that you know if it can work for Kevin Martin, it can work for him as well. So. You know, that that would probably be my pick if he's there. Um, I would probably take Tyrese. I'm not I'm not sold on Killian Haynes. Uh Killian Hayes. I think he's he's, you know, one of the better league guards in this draft, but I'm I'm not sure that he's a franchise league guard. Um, but you know, if if the Knicks are there at eight and you know, one of those two guys are there, then I think that they'll they'll consider one of those two guys as well. 
I'm a Killian Hayes fan. Uh, I, I would be great with the Knicks there at eight. Uh, I'm a huge Tyrese Halliburton fan. He's number four on my board. I think that would be a great, great uh, pick uh, for the Knicks. Won't provide the flash often that Knicks fans are looking for, uh, but I, I think he, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, to me, has one of, uh, again, one of those highest floors of any of the prospects in the draft. Let's segue to the Suns. They, they have something going. They've got Devin Booker. They have DeAndre Ayton. Uh, what do they do? This is a team that's clearly focused on on being a playoff team next year. I think they're sick of being in the lottery. Uh, they they really wanted to be a playoff team this year. What did the Suns do? So they're at the point where, okay, so they have their superstar, right? So they have Devin Booker. Um, they've put a reasonably good roster around him. Uh, they put a lot of shooting around him. Um, you know, they put a lot of veterans around them, you know, Ricky Rubio came in and made a, a, a really positive impact. Aaron Baines came in and, and made a re- really positive impact. So if you're the Suns right now, I think what's the number one thing that you don't have on that team. And right now, uh, I think the number one team thing that they don't have on that team is they don't have somebody that can guard, uh, that can guard winks. You know, they don't have, they don't have the guy that they can just say, okay, go give me 25 minutes on 25 to 30 minutes on, on, on uh, Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James. Now, obviously nobody's stopping those guys. I'm just saying, you know, you don't have the, the guy that can soak up minutes on those guys. So with that being said, I would take Isaac Okoro if he was there, or I would take Patrick Williams if he was there. Um, you know, those are the guys that, you know, Isaac Okoro, I, I, you know, I've seen him as high as four on mock, on mock drafts. I'm not sure I have him four on my board because I don't know what his offensive upside is, but he can guard. Like he is going to come in and he is going to be able to guard. Um, and I think he's going to be able to guard right, right away. And, you know, I'm not, you know, you know, I think that he'd be a really, really good um, piece to to put with with Mikel Bridges in terms of being able to guard and being multi-positional defender. And Cam Johnson was better defensively than anybody gave him credit for. Um, you know, nobody thought he could guard coming out of North Carolina. And, you know, he actually, you know, he's not the quickest guy, but he knows how he knew how to use his length and he knew positions he was really, he looked like he was really well coached. Um, so, you know, I, I would take Isaac Okoro. And if I don't, if Isaac Okoro is not there, I would take Precious um, because I think, I think Precious plays as hard as anybody in this draft. Uh, and, you know, the thing about Precious is I think that he's going to be, you know, close to a double figure rebounder um, right off the bat. And, and I think that that's, a, that's an extremely valuable asset to have as well. I'm 100% with you that uh, Okoro, to me, is tailor-made for the Suns. I'm also skeptical, like you, that he should go higher than that, given what I think are some significant questions uh, about his shot and, and what he's going to be able to contribute on the offensive end. But for a team like the Phoenix Suns that are loaded with offense – uh, I, I think he's a godsend for a team like that. I also think Devin Vassell, uh, 
might might be a player because he can get it done on both ends of the court that might be an interesting fit there uh, for Phoenix and is again a guy that's sort of in that in that range. Let's talk about San Antonio. We're not used to talking a lot about the Spurs and the lottery, and obviously they've gone through a major transition um, in the last couple of years. What what do they do? I would take Devin Vassell if I were them. That that would be my guy for them because I, you know, like you said, you know, he's a guy that can that that can get it done on both ends of the floor. Um, I'm not sure if Vassell is as good uh, a fit for the Suns because I think that he's going to be a guy, become a guy that needs the basketball uh, on some level, and you know that basketball in, in Phoenix is going through Devin Booker. You know, so the reason why, um, I, the reason why I like the Isaac Okoro fit is because he's a lot more specialized than Devin Vassell is. Um, and you know, the same thing with Cam Johnson, that worked in Phoenix because Cam was really specialized. You know, uh, Cam came in, shot the heck out of the basketball, defended. Mikael Bridges comes in, he defends, he gets out on the break, and he shoots the basketball. So, you know. All, a lot of those pick and roll, you just need a secondary, um, a secondary playmaker next to, to, to Devin Booker, and that that turned out to be you know Ricky Rubio. Um, so that's why I like Isaac Okoro for the Suns, um, but I really like Vassell um, for for the Spurs because I think that he's a guy that can really develop offensively, and he can develop into a guy that that's a dynamic creator, or, or you know if not a dynamic creator. Um, a secondary creator. He was shot 41% um, from three-point range at Florida State. Uh, he knows how he knows how to use screens. Uh, he's he's a guy that that's uh, that was high high, high highly efficient at Florida State. Um, you know, I, I just I think that he's a guy that um, can eventually play the two or the three or even the four. Um, you know, and he can handle the basketball. Uh, he can, you know, play off the ball. I think he has upside playing on the ball. And I, I think that he's he's a smart guy that, that will fit into the Spurs culture. I think that I think that he's the guy that I would take if I were, if I were San Antonio. I'm going to agree with you again. Devin Vassell, I think, is a perfect fit for San Antonio. Again, not 100% sure he'll be there at 11. I think his range goes a little bit higher than that, but some of these guys are going to have to slip, and so somebody's going to have not, to fall. Yeah, yeah. If he's not there, Okor is going to be there, or Patrick Williams is going to be there, um, or Denny Avdia, or someone's going to have to be there uh, in that range. That I think I think San Antonio is going to be able to get a nice player here. Let's talk about the Sacramento Kings. They're habitually in the playoffs, or habitually not in the playoffs. Uh, continued to be a lottery team, but have an interesting young core have a new front office this year what do you think uh, Sacramento should do you know is they're interesting um I think that they should probably go Neesmith because you know they might lose one of those guards uh I I think that they're um pretty set on trying to bring Bogdanovich back um you know, but they're another team that they need some wings and they need some 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 wings that can guard. Um, so, you know, if Patrick Williams is there, um, I definitely consider Patrick Williams. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what I would do if I were Sacramento. And I don't know how you're going to look at this because maybe this is reaching or not, but I'd take Sadiq Bay. Um, because, you know, I think that he's plug and play. I think he's young enough that he still has a lot of upside. Uh, he's a great shooter. Um, you know, obviously, you know, nobody else is going to see the ball in pick and roll situations outside of Fox and Bogdanovich. Um, so, you know, you want guys that, that can, that, that can complement those guys. And, you know, Sacramento really does, just doesn't have great wing play. Um, so I, I would, I would think about, you know, Vassell, if he was there, I'd absolutely think about Sadiq Bey if he was there, Patrick Patrick Williams if he was there, uh, and even Aaron Neesmith if he was there as well. All right, Tony, let's wrap this up. Uh, You obviously are close to the Jazz and have as good a handle of them as anybody in the league right now. Uh, They're selecting 23 in this draft. Who could help the Utah Jazz uh, get – over that next time, is there anybody left in this draft that could be really helpful to them? Well, to me, I look at Desmond Bain. Um, and I think that he really, really helped them. Um, you know, the, I, I really like Leandro Balmaro. Uh, Did I pronounce his name right? Yeah, Leandro Balmaro uh, plays at Barcelona out of Argentina. I really like him. Um, kind of. You know, he's a guy that has really good positional size, really good playmaker. The problem with him is I've been told that not only is he a drafting stash, but he might be a drafting stash for two years. So that Barcelona's not ready to let go of him yet. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it might be a couple of years before he comes over. You know, I don't know how the Jazz feel about this, but. Man, if if Jade McDaniels is there, I'll just take him because I, I think that the Jazz are in a position where they should swing for the fence. And I know that Jade McDaniels could be out of the league in five years, but he could also be an NBA, all NBA in five years. Like his his pendulum swings that wide. So, you know, he's you know, I think these the Jazz don't have, um, you know, an oversized wing that can just flat out go get it done offensively. And I think that Jay McDaniels is 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 a guy that can 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 do that. Um, but he's a developmental developmental guy. He's going to have to commit to really working hard on his skill set. Uh, I think he's going to have to really commit to working hard on on, you know, being a, a really good teammate and being being um, and, and dealing with um, some adversity, um, but he's almost as talented, man. He's almost as naturally talented as anybody in this draft. And, you know, I, I know that he's a guy that, that a lot of people see in a lot of different ways, but, you know, if you're there at 23 and you're the Utah Jazz, um, you know, you, you if you draft him and you get him to be a good soldier and you can develop him, you you might have a star in your hands. He's the upside prospect in this draft, no question. On paper, everything looks so intriguing. And then you watch him at Washington his freshman season, and it, it, it wasn't great. And his stock slid because of that. But I think more and more teams are starting to say, 
again in a draft where there's very few players in the draft that have significant upside. He's one of the few, and and maybe you take the swing on him and and take a take a page out of the Denver Nuggets who have consistently done this over the years, and it's it's paid off for them time and time again because they've been willing to be patient. And uh, if you're willing to be patient, good things come. And so I think that's a that's a really nice choice. He may be off the board by the Jazz. I think Desmond Bain's probably there. I know you like Sadiq Bay. I he may or may not be there uh, at the time when the Jazz select the 23. There is one. There is actually one more guy that I actually like because of his combine numbers, and that's Tyler Bay, out of out of Colorado, um, because he tested off the charts athletically. And I think that he's a guy that's going to really work hard on, on his skill set. And I think that he, he's a guy that if you're the Jazz, that if you take, he's so the, – the Jazz need to get more athletic. And he helps you get more athletic. Uh, and I think that he's a guy that, that if you're the Jazz, you are so good at developing people. You develop, you know, Joe Ingles. You develop Royce O'Neal. You develop George Niang. All of those guys were in your rotation to come playoff time. Um, I think that, you know, if you take a guy with with Tyler Bay's physical tools, uh, you just you can just see kind of kind of figure out, take them, figure out what you have in a few years uh, and, 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 and kind of bet on yourselves a little bit. Tyler Bay, junior out of Colorado, uh, finished second in the vertical jump. Uh, testing uh, at the COVID combine. Uh, not all the prospects were participating, uh, but put up really great numbers there. Tony, it's been a pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast. Really appreciate all the knowledge, uh, scouting, uh, insight that you've brought to the table, and we're going to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care, Tony. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.